listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mental Selling. Thanks again for joining us from wherever you are and whenever you're listening. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Karen Hurt from Let's Grow Leaders. Karen helps human-centered leaders find clarity in uncertainty, drive innovation, and achieve breakthrough results. Karen, thank you for being with us today on Mental Selling. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Karen is, as I mentioned, she co-founded the firm Let's Grow Leaders with her husband, David Dye. Uh, You've had the firm since 2013, is that right? And they actually also have a podcast of their own called Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Karen is also an award-winning author of four books, including Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates, and Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And Karen, so to start today, what's interesting is actually years ago, I know you actually led a very large sales organization at Verizon. So you've got really good perspectives on people that are in sales-specific leadership roles. So let's talk about that first. And from your perspective, what do you think salespeople today want and expect from their sales leaders and, and why? Yeah. So, you know, I think the first thing is they need clarity of vision. You know, where are you headed? They need a real uh, strategic focus on what matters most because there are so many things that are going on and salespeople are expected to, you know, have a scorecard with 27 things on it. And that is overwhelming. And so, you know, when we work with sales organizations and I found this with my sales team at Verizon too, what is the most important thing and what are the most important strategic behaviors you need to be doing every single day to make those happen? And, you know, in, in our book, Courageous Cultures, we do a case study where I talk about this massive turnaround of our sales team. When I inherited it, there was a very demoralized sales team. They were really struggling to meet quota. And by the end, uh, you know, we were, had won the president's award for customer growth. And it was all about creating culture and getting people aligned on what were the behaviors they needed to do every day at every level of the organization. And you know, we're working with a, a company right now, a large international sales team, And they said the same thing, like, if we can just focus on this one behavior. And theirs was super simple. It was, if I could just get everyone to document the next best action in Salesforce. Like, that was it. And and I said, why is that so critical? He said, because mostly they haven't thought about their next best action. So that's what he can measure. If it's the next best action is documented, then he knows people have actually thought about that. So you were talking a bit about sales cultures. And so there's a lot of discussion about sales cultures and culture change in organizations, especially today when there's such a um, heightened level of competition for for talent and keeping good salespeople. And I think those things can cause a bit of angst among sales leaders because they know creating and cultivating their sales culture or dealing with culture change is important, but it's also, they're also very nebulous sort of concepts. So how do people 
get their hands around something that they can sort of perceive as, I don't want to say squishy, but like hard to make really tangible. How do they get their hands around it and know what to actually do? Yeah. So my favorite definition of culture comes from the marketing guru, Seth Godin. And he says, culture is simply people like us do things like this. So if, if you want to do culture change, that can feel scary. But if you go to your sales, you know, if you think about you get your sales leaders together and say, what is it that we want people like us to do? How do we want to show up? What are our values? What does that look like in terms of behavior? How do we interact with our customers? What do we want to be known for? A very simple exercise we'll sometimes do is give people two pieces of paper and say, draw the team as you see it now, and then draw the team as you'd like it to be. You know, that's simple. Well, that team as you'd like it to be, that's the culture that you want. So what's happening there? What are people doing? Are they collaborating or are they in silos? Are they lifting one another up or are they competing? Are they internally focused? Are they, you know, in, you know, thinking about their, you know, selling from the outside in and really thinking about uh, what their customers need? And that's the conversation. I think, you know, talking, you don't have to use the word culture, but it, what is it that you want? How do you want your team to act? I think really is, is a good place to start. Yeah, you, you keep saying, um, referring to behaviors, which I think is really important. And one of the things you just said, you talked about, you know, you, your values, right? So every company has their stated values, and this is our mission, vision, values, what we stand for. And one thing you said I'd like you to um, maybe expand on is that idea of like, well, how do you take those values and actually translate it into behavior in, in how a salesperson acts and deals with customers on a day-to-day basis? Because that's what's important, right? You can you can say you've got all these, you know, you can say you've got all these uh, great values, but how do you make it actually something that customers experience? Yeah. So the way we teach this is imagine you took out your phone and you recorded what was happening. What are the behaviors that you see? So if you say that you want your salesperson to be connecting at an empathetic level, we have empathy for our customers, right? We create an empathetic customer experience. Okay, well, if you recorded the sales call, where, what are the behaviors that you see that look empathetic? And, you know, and the larger your sales organization is, the more you need to break that down and actually help people Think about that. One way we do that is uh, we'll give people yellow sticky notes and then just say, all right, here, if your thing is uh, you want to create a wow customer experience, give every person, every salesperson five stickies and say, what is the behavior that creates wow? And then you collect them and you sort them. And then that now you fill what is you've got your list of this is what wow looks like. And, you know, is it showing up generous? You know, uh, so for example, one of the I really want to be known as being extremely helpful, right? So I'm talking to somebody at 1030 today. He, you know, he just called. He's like, I've got a big problem with my team. I've got this, I've got that. I'm just going to help him, right? It's not a sales call. I'm going to show up helpful. And uh, people say, well, if you keep giving away all your content, Karen, will nobody ever hire you? Well, that's not what I'm finding. (laughs) I'm finding, right? Yeah. As a marketing person, I completely agree with you. That's the furthest thing from the truth. So, you know, and so I think there's there's those behaviors. And, you know, what else do salespeople want right now? 
people, every person right now wants to be seen as a human. They want it to be understood at a human level. They want to have, they're yearning for connection. We've been isolated for too long. And I think one of the mistakes that I see some sales organizations make is because salespeople are generally, now I'm totally stereotyping, gregarious, charismatic. They look like they've got it all their stuff together, you know, a lot of the time, but underneath the surface, there's a lot going on. And I think, you know, you can't just take that at safe at face value. Like, yeah, it's all good. Oh yeah. It's all good, man. You know, when really they're thinking, you know what, it's not all good. My mom's in the hospital. I'm worried about my kid who's been struggling because the homeschool thing didn't really work out for us. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. But if you just go, oh, how was your weekend? It was great, man. How was yours? And you leave it there. That I think, you know, let's just not assume. I, I, I always assume anybody I'm dealing with has a whole bunch of stuff going on that, you know, and the more you can connect at that level, the more you are now going to build trust and when they can be vulnerable and you can be a little bit vulnerable, that's how you also build culture. Because I want to come to work because I know people care about me. That's the essence of what sales leaders need to understand that coaching is, right? It's being empathetic. It's getting below the surface. It's having those sort of deeper conversations about what's going on with somebody sort of between the ears and emotionally. It's not the let's review your to-do list and your pipeline and your numbers, that sort of thing. That's not coaching and it's not what salespeople really need, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, one of the things that we've been, well, we were just down at HED uh, sharing a case study where we had uh, a really neat program with a sales organization. And one of the, the main things that we did with them was moving from counting to quality. And we actually created a whole process because so often it's tempting to say, well, how many, let's look at your funnel. Well, you got 18 there and 12 there and two of those and one of those. And this one looks like it's got a 75% opportunity to close, right? It's all numbers. But you know, how many client visits, CVs did you do today, right? Like numbers. So you could have done five CVs, five you know, client visits, and they could have all been not with the right decision maker. They could have not been done effectively. And so when you're coaching, it's how do you coach to the actual behaviors? What does a great client visit look like? How do we break that down to a behavioral level? And, and I think that's an important part where I think sometimes people struggle with that because it's easy to coach to the numbers, but how do you uh, get to a behavioral level? Right. Coach to the behaviors that you want to see, right? Not the numbers. That's uh, absolutely true. Let's talk a bit about identifying and developing sales leaders, both for the benefit of people that are in sales leadership roles now and people that maybe aspire to them later. And, and we know sort of the cliche thing that companies get wrong is they'll say they'll just want to put their highest performer and have he or she become the salesperson, right? And, and everybody knows that sometimes that's the right move to make. Unfortunately, more often than not, it's, it isn't. What do you, but what do you see companies getting most wrong when it comes to identifying and then developing once they have identified the new sales leaders. I would start with why do they want to be a sales leader? You know, what, like, what is it about that is what is that intrigues them? And, you know, the good news about that is most of the time moving to a sales management role, you'll make less money. So it's usually not the money, right? Yeah, because, you know, if you are a rock star salesperson on the right kind of compensation system, you're probably making more than your boss. But I would say, you know, it's 
then from there, it's do they understand how to really think about their team and what each person on their team needs. So one way to think about this is, do they really understand what each person needs on their team? And we like to work with helping people coach in the moment to where are people on a continuum of confidence and competence. So for example, if you've got a salesperson on your team and they're very good, but they're, so they're very competent, but they're lacking confidence. This is not somebody you want to be pointing out every little thing that they need to do to up their game. This is someone you need to be encouraging, building their confidence. So, you know, hey, that thing you did on that sales call, that's exactly what I need more of. Or that idea you shared in our staff meeting. Yes, please keep contributing. You have great ideas. Now, if you've got somebody who's very confident and also very competent, that is someone you want to be challenging, you know, give them uh, more strategic clients, help them to encourage them to train someone else who maybe is lacking confidence or competence. You want to stretch them and challenge them because they may not want to necessarily be promoted, but you don't want to get have them be bored. And then if you have someone who is not as good as they think they are, they're very confident, but they're lacking competence in certain areas. This is someone where you're wanting to coach them and helping them to see their blind spots and pointing out areas where they could get even better. And if you've got someone who's lacking both confidence and competence, maybe they're new to your sales role, maybe they are having a performance issue, you're going to break the tasks down and be very tactical with your work with them. You're going to be in a teaching mode. And if they've been hanging out there for a while, then they're in a perhaps they're not the right fit for the role. So that's the kind of skill, one of the kinds of skills that, you know, a sales manager can develop fairly easily and then think about how are they really meeting each person on their team where they are. And a lot of what you're talking about really comes down to having strong emotional intelligence, right? To be intuitive into each of those individuals. And the other thing that you said that I thought is worth really emphasizing is the, the teaching moments of the teaching aspect. Like that's really what a sales leader has to have the passion to do, right? That's what his or her role is to largely be teaching people on their team, right? Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's a hard transition for some people, right. To go from being a rock star a contributor to how do I spend my time teaching and knowing that so, someone may not be selling in the exact same way that you are. Cause that's the other thing that I notice. sometimes sales managers will do. Well, this worked for me. So it's going to work for you as opposed to saying, well, what is your style and how can you leverage your strengths? And, you know, so maybe you have a, a salesperson who is really good at developing relationships, but they're not so gregarious. That's okay. As long as they are using that strength to build the relationships and build the trust. And that can be a very powerful salesperson, but sometimes a salesperson who's more charismatic and outgoing looks at this more introverted person and says, well, that's not going to work. And in fact, they may have the secret sauce that really is going to make it work. Right. You've got to be aware of each person's individual style, how they communicate. We've, we wrote something um, a few years ago on this of what a big mistake it is to try to coach people in your own image for all the reasons that you just said. Yeah. So something that you and I talked about before the podcast, because I had seen you write and, and talk about this before. I was wondering if you can get into, you have two things called six competencies that sales teams must master. And then related to that, six competencies of 
sales leaders. Could you talk about those? I think those would be really insightful for the audience. Yeah. And, you know, of course, these are not the standard things. These, This is like you've got your basics. And here are the ones that I think are often overlooked. It's the sandpaper that can help a, a sales team get to the next level. You know, one is knowing when to walk away. And, you know, I find this even in our own business. So you're having a conversation with a, a prospect and you're like, you know, I'm not sure I can really help them. They're looking for something different than is our sweet spot. Having the confidence and the courage to just say, you know what? I think our competitor is really who you're looking for here. And Pete, you will gain so much trust and respect in the marketplace if you can be counted on to do that rather than selling something that is uh, really obviously not the right fit. So for example, if someone is looking for a, a check the box leadership development program, I mean, we say that right on our website. If you are looking to check a box, we are not the people for you, right? But there are people who do, you know, they're like, yeah, I guess got to get this done. And so, you know, you, if you get that sense, I'll say, you know what, here's a more off the shelf thing that I think is going to be exactly what you need because you know that it's not the right fit for your organization. So knowing when to walk away is one of them. The art of asking great questions, really strategic questions that are the right questions at the time. And these are open-ended questions. And that's a nuance, right? Because you need to understand the, the strategic direction of where someone is headed, but you don't want to, you don't need to know all the aspects of their business. So it's, you know, cause you're going to wear your prospects out with that. So it's balance of what are the right open-ended questions and then really listening to those answers and then knowing what the next best question is to ask based on the answer that you've heard. People do this when they're selling to me all the time and it drives me crazy. It's like you can tell they've got a checklist of questions that they're asking and they aren't really listening to the answers to my questions. And then they're going on to ask the next question. Showing up with confident humility, you know, and that's, you know, that's a competency that we teach no matter what level of the organization you are. It's the balance of have confidence in your own strengths, have confidence in your product, have confidence that, you know, that in what you're selling but also the humility to say, do I really, I don't want to assume, oh, oh, you're just like that other customer that we have. You know, like I see people leap to that as opposed to the humility that, hey, I really need to listen here. I really need to understand and what's actually happening with the situation and not act like, oh, I've seen this movie before. I know all about you is I think an important one for sales teams. You know, building great connections, really genuine human connections. When somebody, you ask somebody, how was your, how was your weekend? And they say, oh, it was great. We got a new puppy. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So now let me tell you as opposed to, right. I actually had a sales senior vice president said, please come teach my salespeople how to do that better. Cause that's what he was saying as opposed to what kind of puppy was it? How was, were you up all night? Right? Like once they give you information, really act like you care about that. And really have a real engage in Engage in an actual human conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think staying patient, you know, knowing that people, and I have a hard time with this personally too, you know, because you want this contract, you want this relationship, this is the perfect client for you, you know that you can help them. You know, even in my own selling, I have to say, you know what, they've got a lot of things going on. 
And you don't want to just be constantly following up, you know, knowing when, what that balance is of staying top of mind, but not being obnoxious, I think is one. And then we giving generously, you know, I just got off a a call with a, a guy and I was just like, what do you need? What are your challenges? All right, here's an article. Here's this, here's a free tool. Here's that. And he was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. This is going to be helpful for me. That may or may not turn into a sale, But showing up generously and being known as somebody who really does want to help and isn't just trying to make a sale, I think is an over, it's overlooked by some salespeople because they're, they're, they've got this quota and they're trying to turn every conversation, convert it to a sale. And I think it's building that reputation over time as being generous that can really be very vital. So that's a great bridge to the six competencies of leaders that you have. Can you talk about those? Yeah. So uh, say starting point, show up with confidence and humility, right? So we talked about that, you know, confidence, the confidence to have an audacious vision. You know, I think that is great. Sales leaders have to create possibilities. They have to create vision. They have to, that's inspiring for a sales team. We can do radically more, right? Dramatically more than we ever thought possible, you know, and uh, so that, and then the humility to surround yourself with people who will challenge you to know your vulnerabilities, both as a sales leader and as an organization and to admit when you're wrong. And then focusing on results and relationships. Yes, sales cultures are aggressive cultures. You need to get results. You need to get results fast. You need to sustain results over time. You know, so having a, a clear expectations, building a cadence of accountability towards those expectations, holding people accountable to that. And relationships, getting to know your sales team one-on-one. I always say you can only build a team one person at a time, connecting at a human level, fostering collaboration, not competition across your sales team. That's a big one. Don't stack rank them and give people a bunch of grief if they're at the bottom. Help people, encourage them to work together with one another. You know, and so, and helping to also help them see outside of the boundaries of the sales team, you know, building relationships with ops, building relationships with IT and not just be the, you know, everybody needs to do what I said because sales are the most important thing that matter. Understand the other people who are on this team, who have your back, who are doing product development and being real, right? So those yeah, are the first- Other people have day jobs too, right? Yeah, so show up with confidence and humility, focused on results and relationships. And then- We talked about this a bit earlier. We call it mind the MIT, which is the most important thing, which is how do you get really strategic about what are the most important priorities and then define them at a behavioral level? In our book, we share share this case study. Well, the most important behavior we found as we were shifting people from working at a focusing on selling to retail to expanding their thoughts to, hey, there's a small business market here, which was an incredible success. We isolated a single behavior. Ask every customer who walks through this, the door of our retail stores, where do you work? Now that seems that's a behavior because we, if we ask where they work and they say, oh, I own a small business. Bam, now you're being able to, you've identified, uncovered a sales opportunity to sell to their business as opposed to just sell to the individual. So instead of selling one line to this consumer that walked in, you are selling five, 10, 20 lines at a time, which you can imagine 
is, is a great sales strategy. So, you know, what is the behavior? Will, for you and me, a behavior is content right? Providing content. And, you know, you wouldn't think the most important thing I might be doing on any given day is writing a blog, right? You would say, yeah, there's a lot of other things, most important thing. Oh, I got to go write a blog. People laugh. And I'm like, you don't understand. If I stop writing blogs, we are going to stop having inbound work. And inbound work is way easier to close. If somebody's coming to you and saying, hey, I want that, then if you're trying to do anything outbound. Right, it's that balance, right? Thing in, the, in your example, writing blogs is very much the long game. You've got the urgent in front of you at, at any given time, but you can't let the, you know, as, as I've heard people say, the tyranny of the urgent get in the way of what's important strategically. Yes. And I will tell you that there has not been a week since 2012 that I haven't written a blog post. Oh, that, you're better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's how, that's how important it is. It's how important it is. So, all right. So confident humility results in relationships, mind the MIT. Another one is communicating consistently. And we teach five by five communication that if something is strategically important, you need to communicate it five times, five different ways. Because people will tell me, I don't understand why my team's not doing this. I told them about it at our offsite. We spent a whole day talking about it. Okay. Well, when was the last time you brought it up? Well, it was three months ago at the offsite. They should know. People are busy. So if something is important, yes, communicate it at your offsite, then follow up in your weekly team meetings, then follow up in your one-on-ones, then put it in your text distribution list, then maybe change your Zoom background and have the message flowing across. Maybe write a handwritten note to everyone, maybe create a recognition program around it so that it's everywhere they look, the strategic priority is obvious. And you can make, you can take that advice also as a salesperson, right? Take that to heart that if you're trying to get in front of a prospect, it just came to mind, you know, communicate them. You've got to communicate it five times, five different ways, right? Same thing can apply there. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. So yes, yesterday we were leading a program at uh, Association for Talent Development and one of our clients was in the, the room with us and we completed the whole program and she gets, we get the, Get back! I get back after everybody's left and I'm chatting with her. And she's like, you know, David has a very nice voice. He should do podcast. Now, David is the number 13 leadership podcast in the world. She has been our client now in two different organizations. We have known her for six years. How has she missed that, that David has a podcast? Right. And our final slide said, oh, and don't you don't want to miss David's podcast, the slide that she just saw. Right. So she has at least seen that five times, five different ways. And she still didn't know. You know, so I think that sometimes we assume that people are getting it because it's important to us. It also happens to be sometimes people are like, oh, you have a book. Right? Like it's on the top of like it's everywhere. It's on my email signature. It's the top of the LinkedIn. It's all over our blog. How do you not know we have a book? Because people are busy and it's not their most important thing. Yeah, and that's it's a great whether you're a sales leader dealing with your team or a salesperson dealing with prospects. That idea of just it's hard, but keeping in mind, you know what? Yeah, people are busy and they've got other things going on, and your message at the top of their inbox or whatever it might be is not their most important thing. And you're going to have to reinforce it over and over. That's what good branding is, right? Yeah. yeah. And then another one is, and this is also good for sales leaders and also salespeople is checking for understanding. And that's just, are people picking up what you're putting down? So as opposed to say, okay, so here's the process, here's what we're going to do. Do you have any questions? 
And, you know, often when you say, do you have any questions? Your sales team is looking back at you and they're saying nothing. Well, they say nothing. What does that silence mean? You know, it could mean they totally get it. It could mean they disagree with you, but they're afraid to say something. It could mean that they're thinking about their golf game. It could mean a lot of things. And so instead of saying, do you have any questions? Say, okay, so we've covered, I need everybody to go do these three things with their clients. Let's just, I just want to do a quick check for understanding. What's, what are the three things? And then you wait. And if they don't have it, that's good to know because you'd rather know before they leave the room. It's the, you can use that same technique, of course, with your, in, in a sales process as well. And then the final of the six is what we call scheduling the finish. And this is scheduling a time that you're going to talk about what you need again. So this sales 101, right? When's your next appointment? So if they say they're thinking, I mean, that's sales 101. But I think sales managers, somehow they forget that simple technique when they're leading their team. So they say something like, Will, I'm going to need this soon. Now, if I ask you, Will, I'm going to need this soon. What does soon mean? Right. Is that tomorrow? Is that three weeks from now? Right. Right. We have different definitions and we'll do this. We'll do this in our training programs and we'll say, okay, if I say this, put it in the chat. If I say I need this soon, what does soon mean? And then the waterfall and the chat is like tomorrow, 24 hours next week, whenever I get around to it, right? Everybody's definition is different and that's in tech teams. So that's instead of saying, I need this soon, I need this Friday. All right. Thank you. I'm going to need this report Friday by three o'clock. If you can't get it to me, if something comes up, let me know. And so we can talk about when we are going to get it. Those are six foundational skills. I think every manager needs. And one of the things that was coming to mind is you're going through those six things for sales leaders is a common thread seemed to be that, that leaders, part of their job is to help their salespeople see more in, in themselves than they might otherwise. Right to help them sort of expand that, what we call expand the area of the possible. That's part of what a sales leader has to do because everybody has sort of self-defined, self-imposed limitations and a good sales leader can help expand those things, right? And then the other thing that stood out for me is you talked about the results versus relationship aspect of it. And I think back, I used to work for a company years ago where they had a definition of success was defined by results, process, and relationships and basically saying you can get all the greatest results in the world, but from an internal process and relationship standpoint, if you're laying waste to the organization, you're not successful, right? Like all those things matter together. So the next thing I wanted to have you talk about is I've loved what you've written before about psychological safety. And I think this relates back to coaching and the relationship between sales leaders and, and people on their teams. But this idea of psychological safety and creating courageous cultures, you talked about that at the, the conference where you and I met just a few months ago. Could you expand on what that means for listeners and, and why it's important today in, in creating people that are you know, they're more autonomous, they're better problem solvers, they're advocating for their customer, all those things. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. We were noticing a consistent pattern with the organizations that we were working with. So we would go in and work at the front line, at the top, at the senior level of organizations, C-level, level below that. And we were hearing this constantly. I just don't know why people don't speak up. I don't know why they're not sharing their ideas. Why am I the one that stumbles across this best practice that's happening? Why aren't people sh sharing their best practices with one another? And then we would go into do training at the front line of these very same organizations. And we would hear things like, 
Nobody wants my ideas. Last time I spoke up, I got in trouble. Nothing ever happens anyway. And we thought, are you working for the same company? So we uh, set out on an extensive research study that was both quantitative and qualitative with the University of North Colorado to answer a couple of questions. When people were holding back ideas, what kind of ideas were they holding back? And they weren't trivial. It wasn't like, oh, I wish I had kombucha in the break room or virtual taco Tuesdays, right? They said they were holding back ideas that would improve the customer experience, the employee experience, or productivity in the process. And then we said, why are you holding back these ideas? And, and that was really interesting. They said, you know, 40% said they lacked the confidence to share their ideas. 49% said they weren't regularly asked for their ideas. 50% said nothing ever happens anyway, so why bother? 54% said that they're afraid they're not going to get credit for their ideas. That's a psychological safety problem, right? And so, you know, how do you fix that? And so what we have come up with is some very practical tools and techniques to make that happen, you know? And so, you know, starting with just asking your team courageous questions. So a courageous question is, is simple and it's humble. So, Hey, Will, what's one idea you have to help me be a better podcast guest? Right? Now that's a it's courageous because I'm assuming there's something I could be doing better here. But and it's so and it, it's humble. I, I I get it, but it's also easy for you to answer that question because it's just one thing. It's not like, you know, like, you know, but if I could say, oh, what could I do differently? You know, you'd probably be like, I don't know, that was just fine. But if I ask you for one thing, it's easier for you to give me some, you know, oh, yeah. And so in a context here, what's one thing that I could show up to be a better partner on this project? What's one way I could position this product more effectively? So asking those courageous questions is a good way to start. In our book, we share a lot of tools and techniques for doing that. But I think that's why it's so important. And to know that uh, the other thing is, you know, Dr. Amy Edmondson is really the pioneer of psychological safety. And she wrote the foreword to our book. She talks about how people are more likely to hold on to a negative experience with speaking up than a positive one, which means that if you are a sales leader, even if you're the most human centered leader, be perfectly clear that you want people's ideas, proactively asking people for them, encouraging people to speak up. It is statistically likely that they have had a negative experience in the past that's still causing them to hold back. So the last question I was going to get into, I wanted your perspective because you have experience leading sales organizations and given what you and David do, because so the last podcast episode that we did previous to this was all about women in sales. How do you see women further advancing into sales leadership roles? Are there, to what degree do you think it's happening? Is it happening enough? You know, sort of, what do you think sort of the state of that is? And are there traits from your perspective that make women better suited and that they should keep in mind that make them really good candidates for sales leadership roles, either now or, or in the future? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think it's better, but I still don't think it's great. And I think it depends on the industry, of course. But, you know, here's it's so, you know, I think it's that confident humility and uh, really being willing to own your strengths and to speak up. And, you know, so when I led, had my sales role, 
There were 19 directors, uh, retail sales directors at Verizon. Two of us were women, you know, and I mean, that was a minute ago. It was about a decade ago. It's not that much better. (laughs) And, you know, and so it's hard when you're in that situation, the conversation, sometimes it's hard to feel like you belong. And so one of the things I think organizations need to do is be very proactive and deliberate about making it feel being inclusive. So I'll give you another example. So I just, I won't tell you the organization, but I got this call now, I am highly qualified to give a keynote to sales salespeople, right? I mean, I've got a long track record. Of, uh, we've got tools. We've written a couple of books. This, I'm talking with the HR person, and she says, okay, yeah, definitely want to hire you. Here's the thing. Our senior vice president of sales is skeptical whether our alpha male sales culture will be receptive to listening to you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I got, I mean, so that, so like, so you're having an uphill battle, right? So people, women are still faced. So I got on the call with, with the senior vice president of sales. And I told him to, I, I basically told him the story from chapter six of courageous cultures. And I'm like, so this is how we turn the sales team around. And by the way, 13 out of 14 of my uh, district managers in that story were men. And I'd call them alpha males, you know, and, yeah. and then I, I got the gig and they learned a lot. Right. So, but why do you have to prove it's like, you have to X prove yourself extra there. That wouldn't have had that, that conversation wouldn't have right. happened if I was, which you shouldn't have to yeah. at all. Yeah. Right. So I still do think there's some headwinds or I remember one time uh, I was uh, on a sales trip. It was in the Dominican Republic and Afterwards, we spent the whole day together. I was the only woman in the room the entire time. And then they said, so now we're going to go to the cigar bar. I went, (laughs) I hated it, but I went because I'm like, I'm not going to be excluded from this because what's going to be, what's going to be discussed at the cigar bar. So I think that's, you know, you have to be cognizant of the environments that you're creating and be deliberate to be inclusive. And then I think that women who want to be, continue to progress into senior executive roles in sales need to own their strengths and even, and not get intimidated when some of that stuff is still out there and just say, you know what, I belong here. Because I think in that keynote example, I could have gotten intimidated and just been like, never mind. I probably, let me recommend a sale. Uh, you know, if you want a guy, I, I have friend, plenty of friends I could recommend, right? I mean, some women would do that, but you know, I don't want to lose on behalf of me or for all women, right? And, and companies that claim to be inclusive and may have the best of intentions, though, they have to get specific about what that means and can't just throw the statement out there, right? They've got to have specific strategies in place to put some proof behind that. So Karen, thank you. This has been such a a great discussion. I thank you for your time and your flexibility along the way. And for our listeners, you can find Karen's website is called letsgrowleaders.com where she and David do tremendous work. So for all of you listening, please um, tell a friend or three or five, please leave us a, a rating or review. We really appreciate it. That sort of feedback really helps us to improve the Mental Selling Podcast. Again, thank you to Karen Hurt. Uh, You can also find her on LinkedIn. It's K-A-R-I-N-H-U-R-T. And uh, Twitter at Let's Grow Leaders. And thank you, Karen. Hope everybody really enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. And please join us again next time. Thanks, everyone, and make it a great day. 
At Integrity Solutions, we believe you need a different approach to sales and service to succeed in tomorrow's world. We know that sales performance isn't just about what you know, it's about who you are. We are performance experts who enable sales teams to build trusted customer relationships with integrity at their core. For over 50 years, Integrity Solutions has specialized in award-winning, innovative sales, service, and coaching training solutions that fuel performance, grow talent, lift up customers, and elevate leaders. Our solutions connect knowledge, skills, and values to help our clients embrace their roles with a greater sense of purpose and outperform year after year. No one is better at unleashing the mental side of selling. Learn more about our unique approach and the clients and industries we proudly serve at IntegritySolutions.com. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.